On this week's episode, we have a treat for you. Steve Adelman is widely recognized as the co-founder of the Avalon Nightlife brand. And with a career spanning over 30 years, Steve has earned a reputation for combining creativity and bottom line economics into acclaimed projects worldwide. And since 1990, over 18 million self-expression entertainment seekers have walked through the doors of Adelman's venues. He's received a BA from Kalamazoo College and an MA in economics from Boston College. And in the early 90s, Adelman moved to New York to open the Roxy Nightclub, serving as its director. Only two years later, he was tabbed as the director of the iconic Limelight, and with three years, had expanded his role to include New York City's four largest nightclubs, including the legendary Tunnel, the Palladium, And in 1997, Adelman returned to Boston to launch Avalon on Lansdowne Street, which quickly became a success. And over the next four years, he led a team to develop six venues on the Thames Street, turning it into the ultimate one-stop entertainment destination. And then in 2002, he purchased the Palace Theater in Hollywood and Limelight in New York City, the same venue he had directed 10 years earlier. And after one year and 12 million in construction and renovations, he launched Avalon on both coasts, along with ultra exclusive Spider Club, which we'll talk about. And then this club is basically a club within a club. And it became the ultimate celebrity haunt, along with Avalon becoming one of the country's most sought after nightlife experiences. Always striving to be one step ahead and break new ground, he expanded his focus to Singapore. Opening Avalon as a part of the Marina Bay Sands Resort and Casino, becoming the first American entertainment brand of its kind in Asia. And then, returning to the States, Adelman set his sights on famed Beale Street in Memphis, restoring the historic New Daisy Theater. Adelman is a passionate writer in his first book, Nocturnal Admissions, a humorous behind-the-scenes look at the nightlife industry in five major cities, will be released later this year by Santa Monica Press. You're in for a treat, you guys. This is a lot of fun to talk to you. We've got some awesome stories. But before we do that, let me tell you about our marketing expedition, essentials that you need, the basics of what you need in your marketing journey. Okay, let's talk about hashtag strategy. It's the little number sign that you put in front of a word or a phrase that you can use to help you draw more traffic to your posts. People use that to search for keywords or key phrases And then it allows people to follow those specific hashtags that will interest them. And then your post might become more relevant to their interests if you use those hashtags, right? So people will become more interested and they'll be able to follow those hashtags. And then your posts will be shown and be more available for people to see. And sometimes people just follow the hashtags and then it shows up in their feeds on both Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and wherever else you can use hashtags, right? And then users may not necessarily be looking for your company, but if the hashtag matches their needs or interests, then they'll come across your business or your brand, right? So branded hashtags or just words or phrases, you can create hashtags specific to your brand or consumers can use those to recognize what it is that they're after. And then you can also encourage the users to also use your hashtag that you've created in your brand or your event, maybe there's a conference that you're wanting to do or specific to your industry, you can use that hashtag and people will use that as well to then post and comment 
and then you'll show up in those feeds. So it helps increase traffic and awareness and you can create campaigns through utilizing these hashtags. It's an organic way to do it. Of course, we always say you need to pay to play, but this is one way to get in front of people organically if you use hashtag strategy. Now, word to the wise, be careful because when you put two phrases together, sometimes they create words that you don't always intend for them to be created. So make sure that what those words and phrases are exactly what you want them to be. The other thing, word of caution, make sure you spell check the phrases first before you put them together because it's easy to misspell things utilizing hashtags because uh, spell check is going to say it's wrong anyway and then you realize that, oh, you know, it's something that you need to double check and make sure. So hopefully this is a useful marketing basic essential for you and helping you build a brand and bottom line. If you want to know more and learn more about Instagram or any of these things that we talk about, you can become a member of the Marketing Expedition community and watch all of the previous webinars and the replays that we've done. And I go into way more detail about Instagram marketing for business or Facebook for business, all of these things that you can use, tools that you can use, tactics that you can take to either do it yourself or we can help you along the way. But go to themarketingexpedition.com and get yourself registered for your subscription and then you can get even more information to help you build your brand and bottom line. And one more thing I need to tell you about, and that is Misfit Markets. Misfit Markets is a delivery service, and it's basically produce and you know fruits and vegetables that don't necessarily land into the grocery stores because hey they might look a little funny or they might you know be a little misfit right but you get them for a lot less and it is perfectly normal and fine and they taste fine they might just look a little funky no big deal they might be shaped weird or whatever right uh, so misfit markets and they also have other uh, staples that you can order and it's delivered to your door it's in a nice insulated package and it comes and then you get all your fruits and vegetables as you need and you can order it weekly go into peppershock.com offers in there and you will get a free offer from me utilizing the misfit market link that we can give you I use it all the time. It's great. I've even discovered new vegetables I hadn't even used before because you can do a mystery misfit market if you want and they'll send you random things that they want to, you know, get rid of or whatever. Anyway, now let's get into the interview with Steve. You guys are going to love this. Welcome to Pepper Shock Media's Marketing Expedition Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in marketing and advertising. Now, here's your host, Ray Allen. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Peppershock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition community. And today's guest is Steve Adelman. Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ray. Glad to be here. (laughs) Excellent. And uh, so, Steve, just give a little background. You've done a lot in your career. Uh, Let's just share with everyone. Just kind of walk me through uh, everything that you've done and and what you're doing now. Okay. Well, um, my my sort of career has been in the world of nightlife. So nightlife would be considered nightclubs, lounges, concert venues, uh, and a few restaurants. So um, my original, my background was I was trained in economics. I have a bachelor's in economics and a master's in economics. 
and I was actually in the PhD program at Boston College working on my thesis nice. and took a job, took a job as an economic consultant and realized that I, I was going to hate working in economics. So there I was uh, after eight years of continuous uh, uh, you know, higher education, not knowing what I wanted to do. And friends of mine uh, were opening a nightclub and they said, well, why don't you join us and join us? You know, you have a background in economics, help us with the business plan, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, I don't really know anything about nightclubs. Maybe I can help. And then when I got in there, I realized that I liked the whole uh, the, the whole world. And what I meant by the world is it's, it's, it was a place where anyone could come up with an idea and see almost immediate reaction, right? So you have an idea, we're going to do this event in a week and you see the results in a week. So I started digging in and just kind of gravitated toward how the whole business ran. So I was my, I guess my first job, my first title was sort of manager of nothing and everything at the same time because I would just sort of help out across the board. So that led to an impromptu meeting with a, uh, a guy who was opening up a nightclub in New York City. This was in Boston. And he said, I really like this club. Can you come down and help me? And I said, well, okay. Now, granted, I was still the master of nothing, right? <laughs> so I went to New York City and um, first time there and realized I'd stepped into one of the biggest nightclub projects in, in, in over two decades in New York. It's called the Roxy. So I, uh, he anointed me the director of the Roxy. Again, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I just sort of tried to figure it out, figure it out. And by hook or crook or luck, it became a huge success. Nice, nice. And then from there, I was hired to become a director of a group of nightclubs. And some of those clubs you know, a pretty iconic nightclubs known to this day, the limelight, the tunnel, uh, the palladium. So um, my next, this was now we're into the sort of the uh, early 2000s. And, you know, I became, I sort of stepped into these two positions and became a really sort of high level, you know, well-known sort of nightclub guy. And, and as a director of a nightclub, mainly you're working on the marketing aspect of it. I never came up. I never was a bartender. I was never a drinker. So I came up in the oddest you know, possible way into this world. And from there, um, I met who, uh, someone who would become my partner for the next 12 years. And I moved to Boston. And there's a place outside of Fenway Park called Lansdowne Street. And they had five or six nightclubs that were not doing too well. So with my partner, his name was John Lyons, we sort of renovated and spent three or four years rebuilding that street. Oh, wow. So we did that. And then from there, we sort of launched, which was the big thing, was Avalon Hollywood. We went to uh, L.A. and we were the first sort of, they call them mega clubs in Hollywood. It's still there today. It's, it's the longest running, I don't say the world, but certainly the country, but the longest running sort of major, we're talking like 2,500, 3,000 people nightclub in the country. Oh my goodness, that's phenomenal. Yeah, and then from there, I had the opportunity out of, out of the blue, which was a tough decision. There's a group out of Las Vegas that owned the Venetian. I don't know if you know the Venetian yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. They're called the Sands Group. And they were opening up the biggest casino in Asia. And they wanted me to uh, own and run the nightclubs there. So I thought, oh gosh, I'm getting old. This could be my adventure. This is my adventure in life, right? Mm -hmm. So I packed my bags. I flew to Singapore not knowing where it was. I thought Singapore at the time was Hong Kong. And the, the problem is the flight's a little bit longer. It's like almost, it's the longest flight in the world from L.A. to uh, to Singapore. 
So that was an 18 hour flight going back and forth. And we opened up there. Wow. I, yeah, I can definitely relate to a really long flight and and all and a new country, new adventure, right? That's awesome. So, okay, because we're talking about the marketing journey, what are some things that you did that helped make the nightclubs successful? Well, I think you make mistakes, right? And over and over again. And then you sort of come up with an ethos that that it sort of works for you. And ours was sort of based around, you know, less is more. So, you know, always um, sort of under promise and over deliver. So that, that was one of the things we started doing in the nightclubs. I see now even marketing, people always say we're reinventing the market. We are, you know, the, the newest thing. Uh, we, our philosophy was not really to say any of that and to sort of keep it low key and let, let, our, let our patrons and our customers kind of figure out a lot of it and fill in the blanks. And the, the other philosophy that we follow was we always marketed sort of to our highest common denominator so to, uh, in our business, that was people who say really new dance music. So avoid hyperbole um, and let the customer sort of figure out what you're doing. And I always say when we're, when we were in marketing meetings, when people would say, you know, I don't know if people are going to, everybody's going to get that. Then I knew we were on the right sort of track because we were going to give them enough and sort of let them figure out the rest. That was our main, our main thing. Now we created we created an, an internal story about what we were doing. Only we knew that. So the key was, was to take what we knew we wanted to do and translate that in a sort of minimalistic way to, to the public. And what kind of methods or mediums did you use? You know, what kind of marketing mix? Where did you get your message? How did you get it out there? I mean, some of this is pre-social media. So what did you do? Well, like, I'll give you an example, right? When we opened up Avalon Hollywood, we, we had the idea of becoming the first membership club in Hollywood. It was called Spider Club. It was a big success. And you think, oh, that's Hollywood. That makes sense. Why wasn't the one before? And so we decided, well, we're not going to really tell anybody we're a membership or we're this VIP exclusive club. We're not going to say we're the most exclusive. What we did was we printed these uh, VIP cards. And the VIP cards were like thick, almost made out of corrugated leather. So you couldn't put them in your wallet. You couldn't. Everyone said, well, who's going to carry around a card that you can't put in your wallet? So what we, we strategically handed them out to certain people, and we put a number on them. So people said, oh, wow, I'm number five. That must be something, right? Yeah. And here's the, here is the trick. The club fit 200 people. So you, know, you, you had to give those cards to probably 1,000 people to just generate enough buzz for people to fill the club. So we would number them like zero to 50, uh, one to 50, then zero, one to zero, 50. So we kept putting zero, zero. So everybody thought they were one of one to 50. Aha, I see. And, and we said, well, you know, Hollywood is a big ego place. Maybe people, the idea was people would show them their cards. And sure enough, one day I was at dinner and I saw a guy, of course, trying to, you know, impress probably two or three actresses and say, look at, look at the card that I got. So we were able to create a buzz without, and one of the rules we have is we really don't pay, we don't want to pay for advertising. We want our audience to perpetuate our message. Right. So um, we did that with just cards. That was it. Nice. Well, it's definitely another tactic to take that it kind of creates that, 
that scarcity feeling that you're a part of something, that you belong to something, and, and then sharing that message out with others. So really, the form of advertising was the word of mouth that spread like wildfire, which is great, because then people have this, well, I want a card. How do I get mine, right? That, that, that feeling. <laughs> Why don't I have one? I'm like, you know, we would have celeb, you know, Bruce Willis has, was my partner and Dan Aykroyd. And they're like, well, why is, where's my card? <laughs> I was like, yeah. you don't need a card to get in, but they wanted that card. So, but it, and it kind of comes back to sort of less is more. And as people figured out and figured in the, the, the story they told amongst themselves is probably better than any story we could have told. Right, right. And then to have the people talk about being there and the experience, what was the experience like when people were there? Well, we, we, um, it was the it was the start of in the nightclub world. It's called bottle service, a more seated sort of experience where people would you know be given a bottles and and sort of a more exclusive thing. So that we we tried to create that. We brought in a designer at the time to give it a sort of Moroccan feel, which Moroccan design in restaurant and nightclubs at the time was was really rare. So, but but for that we we he went to Morocco and we you know we flew in a bunch of stuff to make it authentic. The idea was impeccable service. And in those days, with you said pre-social media, yes. there was a big sign at the door that says no photographs. Oh, so the idea yeah. was that celebrities and people who wanted to go up for a night and not end up uh, on page six the next day could go there. So that was a big, that sign was a really big deal. Nice. Yeah. Exclusive and no photos so people could just feel relaxed and not worry about having their picture in the National Enquirer or whatever, you know, no, no paparazzi photos. That's great. Now, now in, in that world, sometimes people want that to happen. So they go there and they want to create drama. So and, and, and by the way, you know, for your listeners, 90% of that stuff is staged, right? So they would say, we want this photograph. Can you get us this photograph? So they would want to create the drama. So in those particular things, we would we would set it up. Publicity stunt so that they could, huh? Publicity stunt sort of thing, yeah. right. Yeah. And it helped us. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like we wanted, they thought we were so cool because every other club was taking every picture of every other celebrity walking in there and using that to perpetuate the brand. We took the exact opposite approach. Right. So then they felt comfortable and safe and only if they wanted the photo then. And they, yeah, like you said, it could be staged so they could appear the way they would like to be. Exactly yeah. right. Very cool. So now you were writing a book about it. Tell me more about this book and what uh, what's coming up. Writing has been my passion for, like, you know, probably the last 20 years. But, you know, work gets in the way sometimes of what you want to do. So. I started writing it. I had a I had an agent years ago, and then when I went to Singapore, that got shelved. And when I was back in the states and during the pandemic, I said, "This is my chance. I'm, I'm you know, I, I have to write this book." And it's it's a little bit of an odd. It's the name of the book is called Nocturnal Admissions, and I like to describe it as sort of uh, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential meets Curb Your Enthusiasm. So it's it's comedic. It's a look behind sort of the, the, the scenes of nightlife in six major cities around the world that I've worked in. Right, right. Give us a little taste of what, what we can expect when we read your book. Well, a lot of interesting behind the scenes stories. One would be um, when I was in Boston, I was going up to my office and I sort of, um, the, the dressing rooms were near my office. And I walked, I saw sort of this guy look at me and 
I looked at him and I went back in my office and five minutes later, my assistant comes and says, you have to leave the building. I said, leave the building? What are you talking about? It's my club. He goes, no, that was Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan does not like anyone he doesn't know looking at him. Oh. Now years ago, years ago, uh, sort of a mentor of mine said the one, the number one rule in the nightlife concert business is talent is king. So I didn't want to, you know, no ego. I didn't want to uh, make Bob mad. So I, I actually left. The, and, and, and by the way, you can't come to the concerts. I said, okay, great. <laughs> Two weeks later, I'm walking up the same staircase and I pass a woman who looks at me. I look at her and she looks familiar. 10 minutes later, assistant comes in and goes, you got to leave the building. Oh, jeez. You got to stop looking at people, Steve. Right. <laughs> oh, my go, goodness. This time? Because that was Alanis set. She's the same way. No one can look at her. Oh. So I said, okay, fine. Two weeks later, three weeks later, maybe a month later, I'm walking up into the, my office, and the dressing room area, it's filled with smoke. Oh. And... I'm like, is there a fire up here? I go, I'm not even looking. Like there's a concert up here. I'm not even looking over my shoulder. So I hear someone say to me, hey, can you get, you know, Tom, we need Tom. He's got to bring us some pot. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I kind of ran to my office and locked it. Never thought twice about it again. Years later, I was in, I was at Avalon in Boston and I walk in and I go, why, which is why we were renovating the building, getting ready to open. And I'm thinking to myself, who came in and turned this thing into, to a 1970s disco. Oh. So I'm looking around going, what's happening here? I ask our events manager. She says, this is, they're filming the movie Starsky and Hutch. This was years ago. And they're turning the club. They rented the club and turn it into a disco, right? Oh. So, I'm, so I'm saying, wow, this is interesting. So as I'm walking away, someone says, yo. I turn around, I'm like, someone dressed in like this big, like zoot suit. It was amazing. <laughs> I walk up, it was Snoop Dogg. Oh my gosh. I, because I know you. I remember you in Boston, man. I asked you to do me a favor, right? And you just turned your back on me. I'm like, well, actually, I was afraid to look at you. And he's like, afraid to look at you, man. What do you, what's, what's the deal with that? He oh goes, my gosh. Oh, we're all God's children. <laughs> That's, so. oh my gosh. Yeah. So no wonder, um, you know, it was, uh, pretty smoky in the room there. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm, I go, this is just trouble. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, wow. That's that, Those are some pretty interesting and fun encounters for you to be a part of and the caliber and quality of people that would show up. That's amazing. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting stories. And it's a little bit of a funny, sort of quirky, sort of entrepreneurial guide and things that I've learned over the last 30 years in this environment, in the environment I've been in. And so I put that in the book too. I call them laxiums. Uh, and they, they're sprinkled throughout the book. Things that I've learned that I know it sort of become rules for me no matter what. Oh, great. That'll be really good for people who are looking to get into the industry or maybe they are in the industry. They can learn some things from you and the things that you've done. Let's let's uh, let me talk. Let me ask you, what are some of the things that you would say to somebody that is thinking about getting into managing nightlife clubs? Like what kind of things would you want them to know before they yeah. do? <laughs> Number one thing and it it. People get into that business for a lot of reasons, right? It seems fun. It, you know, at a high level, uh, you know, the work of entertaining people is neither fun nor easy. That's number one. Number two is you got to deal in only facts. And, you know, you talk about resources that people use. 
if you're going to open or manage or be involved in some high level of a nightclub concert, then you got to do your research. And that research has got to be done on the ground, talking to people. It's kind of an old school. What I've done is an old school way, but you've got to get the facts and not let your, what you hope or what you think is fun or what you do. You can't let any of that cloud your judgment. So only the facts and see, does the market, you know, are we unique to the market? What does the market really need? And ask the same questions you would ask if you were opening up a printing business. What are some challenges that you had to overcome that uh, were seemingly impossible at first, but you got through it? What, what happened? Well, I think in, 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 in my, and what I've done in my career, getting these places built out is very complicated because you've got licensing scenarios and you've got, um, you know, just getting the real estate. So, and you got to go through, through, you got to go to community boards. So, you know, you, and, and what I found was it's more like um, tenacity and stick to but but beyond that, do the work up front, you know, um, have the business plan ready to go. Uh, if you're showing it to people in the community and, and when you're trying to get your liquor license, be upfront about what you're trying to do and, and have your ducks in a row. So anything that was seemed insurmountable, I think uh, challenged me to be, just be more detailed in what I was doing and sort of, sort of kind of sift my way through that insurmountability at the time. What are some resources or places that you went to or people that you went to that gave you the kind of information that you needed in order to do all of those details and things that you did? Or did you belong to something or where did you go to get information? I think that my thing was sort of the old school way of just getting into the market. And that could be living in Boston, wanting to open up L.A. and immersing yourself. It's amazing what you can find out from customers of your competitors. You know, one of my rules is is be your competition. And I learned that years ago when I, I would see a successful club owner in New York, you know, at, at every club but himself. And I would say, well, don't you run your club? Like, what do you, why are you in these other clubs every night? He goes, I know what's going on in my club. He goes, I want to see what these guys are doing. He goes, I've gotten more of my ideas from stealing them from competitors than anywhere else. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure they did the same to you. So then they would go and see what you're doing and what's working, and then you would right. see it elsewhere. Online resources are great, but you know, there's a lot of um, a lot of prejudice that go into that. I think, and I don't I don't know if they tell the true story on the ground. So I'm a very much on the ground. You know, sort of meet everybody, find out who the players are, which you can probably find out pretty quickly, even in large markets. And that goes across all brands and all industries. Yeah, absolutely. Find out what your competition's up to so you can do it better, right? <laughs> but what they're really up to, what they're doing, what they're not, what customer, and here's the answer, right? Sometimes the competition is doing well. So going back to your question on, you know, managing or getting in, the answer is we don't want to open up here. This is, this is, there's not a market for what we can offer. So you have to be willing to spend months and maybe years doing the research and realizing, you know what, we have to walk away from this. The deal you don't do, right, never hurts you. Right, right. Well, and let's talk about location because that is something that was really important to you too in building up the streets that you did. And let's talk about that a little bit. What made you decide to go where you did? Well, originally uh, when I went to New York, I mean, New York's New York. And so that, at the, and at the time you're talking about um, the early 1990s, it really was the nightlife capital of the world. So that's where I got sort of indoctrinated and probably a boot camp that you couldn't even make up right now. 
And, and then from there, opportunities just sort of pro provided themselves. But you make a really good point because if the opportunity in Boston was the wrong opportunity. So what I did was I went in there and did my research and I saw Lansdowne Street, good location, the, the clubs that had a good reputation, the current company was solid. So even when you pick locations, uh, for me, it was make sure that the market can bear it. And for me, the other thing was unique locations because, um, and this goes for barriers to entry in, 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 in brands and, and products. You know, if you're opening up a nightclub and you just find a storefront somewhere, anybody can do that. But if you find an old theater in Hollywood, right, that no one can reproduce, there's your advantage. If you're building a $30 million sort of island in the middle of the bay in Singapore, who's going to replicate that? Right. So it, the, the actual physical uh, beginning was, was really important for that because that was sort of the initial experience people had with our product. So we always, we, we, or church when I was at Limelight, or an old railroad tunnel when I was at the tunnel. Yeah, that, those are all very unique and, you know, places that people wouldn't uh, ordinarily think of to, to do something like that, right? Like any product, it, it defined our product without us even saying anything, less is more, it defined our product as unique. Now, of course, we had to deliver the experience when they went there and all the other things that come with that, but it was, the, it was a really good start. Absolutely. So what's your next steps? I mean, you've got the book coming out. What are you doing now? And what's next? Well, you know, nightlife has been on hiatus. So we're, we're working on a new concept over the last year and a half that we're, we're getting ready to launch right now. Um, I can't really go into detail about it, but it has to do with incorporating retail into sort of the nightlife concert experience and dining. And so it's a whole new play. We see nightlife and the world in general being more inclusive, where before the pandemic, a lot of nightlife and concert venues in big cities, they were getting really expensive. Mm -hmm and selling premium seats for hundreds of dollars. So ours is sort of the anti that. Okay. And the other thing is, is in the writing vein, I've, you know, I have a script and, a, and a everything. And so working on a development deal for my script, uh, it's a drama. Like, and, and the funny thing is, is most of my writing has nothing to do with nightlife. It just so happened that the book was nightlife oriented and the script, it's a one hour scripted TV drama. That's also takes place in the nightlife world, but just by chance. Oh, that's great. Ah, well, thank you so much for sharing some of this, these little nuggets that we can glean from. And if the, our listeners can pick up, um, you know, a few tactics that you've taken along the way, I think that, uh, you know, coming up with those ideas are definitely helpful. And like you said, they can be on any, you know, utilized in any brand and having the, the fear of missing out or, you know, I want to see what one of those cards look like, the VIP cards, right? So yeah, I think that there's definitely some good nuggets and I'm sure your book has lots Lots of good things for us to glean from when it comes out. Uh, so how do people reach out? How do they get a hold of you if they are interested in, in learning more and wanting to learn more about your book? Go right now, go to steveedelman.com and there's a way to contact us there. Excellent. So thank you so much for being on the show. And for our listeners, of course, the best thing you could always do is drop us a review or share it. I'm sure other people could learn from what Steve had to share with us today as well. Yeah. Until next time, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Find more online at Peppershock.com.
Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.